Hey guys, welcome back to the show. You're in for a real gift and treat today. My friend Samuel Say in Canada, a pro-life activist, formerly with the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, who now blogs and writes at slowtowrite.com, is going to join us today to talk about all things in the culture of death and how Christians need to be standing in this moment. But he's really a nightmare to the culture of death. You see, he's a black Christian pro-life activist. Uh, which makes the culture of death um, melt into little puddles on the floor and scream uncle. Um, and so I think you're going to appreciate his thoughtfulness, um, his um, commitment to life and liberty, both here and abroad. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Samuel, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you, are, you are very generous with your time. I have seen how many shows and podcasts you've appeared on, both small and large ones. Uh, you're very generous with your time um, and your voice in a moment that um, those voices, I think, are needed more than, than, than any other time. Uh, we're, we're sort of in you know, what we're calling a Kairos moment, <laughs> both for the church and the country uh, here in America, certainly. Um, hopefully, Canada's not too far gone from being turned around, but it certainly seems like it. Um, so we want to talk about all of these things, but I, I want, I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit about your background. Um, I found that fascinating, um, and I think when people kind of learn how God has providentially brought them to where they're at, I think it's mm -hmm. just a, a source of great encouragement because people are disgruntled. People are frustrated. People feel really broken, in, at least in America, at least in California where I'm at, goodness gracious, um, <laughs> where we couldn't even successfully recall the most pro-abortion governor in California history. Um, and, and so why don't you just encourage us a little bit about um, your background and how God kind of brought you to where you're at, because you're not from um, the West um, originally, right? So share, share with us your story um, and, then, and then how God got a hold of your heart on abortion. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, as you said, I'm not originally from the West. Um, I was born in West Africa, particularly Ghana. I was born to a, uh, a single mother. Um, and I guess right before I was born, um, when my mom was pregnant with me, um, she was married at the time with my father. But my father, um, well, our family were, we were very poor. We were very poor in one of the most um, poor times in Ghanaian history. And uh, this is this is I was born in '87, so um, the late '80s was a very tumultuous time in Ghana, where there was a lot of poverty. Um, our our dictator at the time um, was 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 pushing some communist policies that were making uh, the nation even poorer. I mention that because my father was a businessman, and when he learned that I was pregnant, that was too much for him. He said he cannot take care of uh, one more member of the family. So he just left and moved to Nigeria, and I've not seen him since. But before he did wow. that, he suggested that, you know, of course he wished I wouldn't be born, and we know what that means. But my mom being um, a strong believer um, and being thoroughly pro-life, um, she did not think that uh, it was worth sacrificing me um, for any reason. So, wow. um, you know, single motherhood is difficult anywhere but in africa um it is extremely wow. difficult and yet she was um faithful she trusted god um and she was she worked two jobs to feed me and my older brother um wow. she would go to bed hungry just so that i would be um i, I would have dinner so wow. it was um I, I should tell you this i 
you know, in Canada, I've been very disappointed about what's happening in our in in, in this nation. I've been, I've I've been here for I guess 24 years now, and I'll explain how I ended up coming here um, afterward. But I've been very grateful because I, I just saw a picture of myself when I was uh, eight years old and I had malaria and I was dying in Ghana. I was skin and bones. Uh, my fiance saw the picture and Whoa. she burst. She just she could not handle it. You would you look at me now? I look at I look at myself now. And I look at the picture then. I could not believe it. Um, I was wow. I was malnourished. You could see it in the picture. It was shocking. You could see my ribs and everything. I mentioned that because, you know, um, I'm worried about where where Canada is going. But I'm so grateful for what God has done in my life in right. uh, rescuing me not just from poverty in Ghana and difficulty in Ghana, but also then of course most importantly saving my soul. Um, because when we left Ghana, I was 10 years old. I came with my mom. Uh, we settled in Canada, um, particularly Montreal, then we moved to Toronto, the Toronto area. Then I heard the gospel. I was raised in a Christian household. My mom was a believer, as I said, but I was not a Christian until um, I heard I heard the gospel for the first time, seemingly, uh, at 19. I became a believer, and um, I've since been trying to uh, be faithful to him. But before I became a Christian, uh, when I was 18, um, I, I had a friend who was also from my church, who called me um, randomly, um, at least I thought it was very random at the time. And her and I were close enough that she would ask me just random questions about life and everything, and I would do the same with her. So she asked me, Sam, what would you say to a girl considering an abortion? And I had never thought about that at all, and I thought, again, it was just a hypothetical random question. So I simply said, I don't know. Well, I also didn't know that she was pregnant that she was being pressured by her boyfriend to get an abortion. I didn't know that that question she was asking me was really the most important question she probably ever asked anybody. Wow. So I said, I don't know. And then um, a year later when I became a Christian, she had also become a Christian too, and she was sharing her testimony. And she mentioned in front of the whole church, uh, while she's sharing her testimony about how God has saved her, she mentions that she had an abortion last year, the year before. And then it dawned on me that she got the abortion just days after oh, she asked me oh. that question. So when I learned that, it crushed me because now I had become a Christian and I uh, I understood uh, justice, I understood what the Bible says about abortion and everything. But uh, well, I understood it in part, I should say. Um, but I was crushed and, it, and it, it, it destroyed me for quite a while knowing that um, if I had um, just said different words. If I had just answered her uh, like I like I can, or like I should have back then, there would be another 14-year-old uh, in Canada today. Uh, but because I failed to answer her, uh, there that life uh, is no longer here. Well, finally, then um, three years ago, a friend of mine had just gone through uh, one of the. Um, Canadian Center for Bio Bioethical Reforms uh, projects. This is in Florida. He just gone there and he told me how much he loved it. And he's like, hey, Sam, man, you should try and do something about this because uh, they had a summer internship that I could be part of. And at the time, he knew that I'd become very passionate about justice issues because I was, as a blogger, writing about um, Black Lives Matter and how pro-abortion they were. Um, so he wanted me to be more involved, and I wanted to be more involved too. So then, in light of that history that I have with failing to answer my friend, uh, my friend's question, and then what, what was happening with Black Lives Matter, 
I really wanted to be more involved and uh, help save particularly black babies, but really all babies across yeah. Canada. Well, thank you, Samuel. I mean, that's a powerful story. You know, everyone has a story about how they got involved in pro-life and how God called them to defend the unborn. But very rarely is it because, one, you were almost killed. Uh, and then, two, um, you experienced almost a trauma um, and horror of realizing that when you had an opportunity to save a life, you weren't equipped to do so. Now, you didn't know what was happening, of course. You didn't know why she was asking that. But yeah. that's what I'm told by people all the time when I um, speak to young people in particular, is they come up and they say, Seth, I've never heard this before. I I've never heard the pro-life case like that. I've never seen abortion imagery before. Uh, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the presentation's on, the amount of ignorance in the society on abortion is just incredible. And mm -hmm. I found that so much of this really comes back to the church. You know, I'm fond of saying that so many of the issues our country are facing stem from a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit. We've mm -hmm. accepted this truncated, um, ridiculous Christian talking points about how we're not political. You know, Sammy, we just preach the gospel, to which I like to yeah. say, brother, well, you know, I guess the, the Levite and the priest should have leaned over the bleeding victim yeah. and said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Um, you're about to die, repent. It's like, no, they were supposed to actually yeah. care for like a guy who was about to die. Um, if, yeah. if the gospel has anything to say about um, how to live in a culture of death, um, it certainly has something to do with loving neighbor or Proverbs yeah. 24, holding back those staggering towards slaughter. But because yeah. the church has adopted this, this truncated myopic view of the whole counsel of God um, and living as a Christian in the society, um, the church has abdicated their role and their duty um, to end abortion. And Francis Schaeffer famously said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says, open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And when people hear that, it strikes to the quick because they, they recognize how true that is. So I want to talk about the church because um, you're a gifted voice, um, not just for the gospel, for the unborn, but also against these very popular and new hip pagan ideologies, whether that's critical yeah. race theory or relativism or whatever um, label you want to, to, to call it. And so I want to get your thoughts on the evangelical pastors and quote-unquote Christian leaders, and, yeah. and let's just name some of them, shall we? Um, Tim Keller, Andy Stanley, Ed Stetzer, Rick Warren, Russell Moore, Lecrae, Phil Vischer, um, for the VeggieTales guy. I could go on and on and on and on. Um, yeah. These are people that Michael Knowles calls court jesters in the kingdom <laughs> of liberalism. Yeah. Uh, they do a little soft shoe. They do a little theatrical performance act. They're controlled opposition. They say, I don't like abortion, but vote for Democrats. I don't like abortion, but to quote Keller, you have liberty of conscience to vote for Democrats. Yeah. Um, I want to get your thoughts on these, le these leaders and pastors um, and, and how you think we should interact with them how people who sit under their authority should interact with them, um, and in short, what's the solution for the division in evangelicalism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned how they oftentimes say that they're not political. Well, this is an easy way to know they're being dishonest, oftentimes when they say that. Ask them what they think about their, their charitable status, local churches' charitable status being removed. They'll say, no, 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 and, and they want to speak out against that. Or consider how they were reacting to the Black Lives Matter issues last year. 
and you will realize that all of them are making statements about Black Lives Matter. Uh, so we know that that's not true. And as a Christian, if you say that you don't believe in being political, you're saying you don't believe in justice, which is a major problem. Now, being political isn't the only way to perform justice, but it's a major way. The Bible says, um, uh, abhor what is evil, love good, and establish justice in the courts, right? Like, as a Christian, you are called. God is a God of justice. His people need to be his ambassadors in performing justice. Um, not concerning what I think about all those people that you mentioned, you know, it's it's a concern because oftentimes um, a lot of these men, these these evangelicals, are just repeating the things that they claim they they dislike from Christians in the past. What I mean by that is this: they oftentimes talk about how in the 20th century, the 19th century, a lot of evangelicals were um, compromising the gospel by embracing by embracing what the culture was teaching on racism. In a sense, what I mean what they mean is that they were teaching white supremacy and things like that, and that's true to an extent. Many people in the church were saying that. The problem is by trying to counter that, they are doing the very same thing where now they're pitching critical race theory, which is a different form of white supremacy, a different form of racism, right? right? And they're teaching the exact same thing. So it all comes back to them rejecting what Christ is saying to embrace what the culture is saying by right. thinking they're really teaching against the culture. It's a very warped, um, dis, you know, deceptive view of justice mm -hmm. and, and, how, and how to be a, a light in this dark world. Um, the other thing is, if someone is a member of their churches, well, the Bible says that if anyone preaches a divisive ideology, stay away from them. Um, you know, now some of these men are in varying, varying, in varying degrees. Are you know some are worse than others. Nevertheless, if someone is teaching critical race theory, if someone is teaching relativism, you can warn them, you can try to correct them, but if they reject that, you need to leave because it's harming your soul. It's divisive. Um, I forgot what the third question was. Uh, forgive me for that. Oh, what was the third question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, well, just I wanted to get your thoughts on on sort of how how are those of us who are recognized our calling to be Ezekiel's to be a watchman um, for our times in our cities? How should we? Um, fight back and establish justice um, when you have such major Christian leaders with such major Christian platforms telling us that either we're in sin and we need to repent, yeah. right, or or that we're we're just wrong and uh, and you know we need to uh, vote for Democrats because Democrat policies decrease abortion. Uh, this yeah. is what Lecrae and Phil Vischer were saying. Or if you're Tim Keller uh, saying, God doesn't actually really care about your vote. You kind of have liberty of conscience to vote for whoever or however you want. Um, mm -hmm. wh what, at what point do you think, Samuel, the division in the church, especially over abortion, um, mm -hmm. gets so stark and intense um, that there, there is no making peace, right? There, there is yeah. no agree to disagree. There is no, I appreciate your gospel perspective, but here's my gospel perspective. At what point are we saying, you're wrong, and mm -hmm. you've created a Christ in your own image. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Bonhoeffer critiqued pastors in Germany who were either preaching Nazism with the veneer of Christianity, mm -hmm. which is what we call syncretism, right? Mm -hmm. Or they were standing by and doing nothing. They're saying, our mm -hmm. gospel's not political. You know what mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer called those people as, as having absorbed a cheap grace. Um, yeah. And then he plants a church called the Confessing Church, I mean, mm. think about what he's insinuating there, Samuel. Um, 
yeah, we're the only church confessing the real gospel. We're the confessing church, <laughs> meaning we're confessing the real Jesus. We're confessing yeah. costly grace. Whatever yeah. you're doing, I don't know what it is, but yeah. you're not confessing the real Christ. I mean, yeah. when you think about like what Bonhoeffer was actually saying, um, mm-hmm. if we do that today f- mm-hmm. for, for American churches, um, same sin, we could say same yeah. error, which is to mm-hmm. abdicate, one, or two, to promote and endorse the culture of death. And we take the Bonhoeffer approach of we're confessing the real Christ, you have cheap grace. I mean, we're told that we're the ones creating division. Now we're the divisive ones. So what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think oftentimes one of the most disappointing things that I see from people on our side, people who are being biblical on these issues, is that we're always, we always believe that we need to defend ourselves. That we we, we think that there is some legitimacy to what they're saying and we need to prove to them that no, 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 what you're saying about it is wrong. We don't need to do that. Now, of course, we should always be, um, you know, defending the gospel. We should be defending the truth. We should be, um, you know, we should be, um, we should be working within apologetics. However, oftentimes what they are accusing us of doing is what they are doing and we need to be direct in addressing that and to be saying no 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 you are the one that are that are being divisive you're the one that are going against the word of god to agree with the culture and really you know sometimes when i say this it sounds revolutionary to some people but the bible says in second timothy 3 16 to 17 that all scripture is god breathed and it is profitable for teaching, for correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The answer to all of this is to trust the Bible and to preach the Bible, to live in according to the Bible. You know, oftentimes when people talk about, um, you know, well, I don't understand all the pro-abortion arguments. I don't understand all the critical race theory arguments. I don't understand all these things. Like, you know what? Well, if you can study it, but if you have the truth, if you know the truth, if you know what the Bible says on these things, you already have an advantage because your job is just to defend the truth. It's a lot harder to try to work against the truth than to just simply defend the truth. So let's yeah. know what the truth is by reading the Bible. Let's trust it. Let's preach it. And let's live in accordance to it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It, it, it is a uh, constant source of frustration to me, Samuel, that some of the most highly educated, credentialed, um, and experienced pastors seem to fail to grasp that which those of us who don't have those credentials but love the Word of God seem to notice as common sense and self-evident. So um, just, and again, I really wanted to talk to you about this because I, I found your voice to be so prophetic and you and I agree that the church is the solution. The church being the church, living as the church, mm-hmm. caring more about truth than our own reputation can change mm-hmm. the world. And it can mm-hmm. end abortion probably in a matter of weeks or years if the church mm-hmm. were to fully awaken a united front against um, womb lynchings, mm-hmm. uh, against systemic racism in the womb, against a mm-hmm. Holocaust and genocide. Um, but, you know, Tim Keller, for example, he has written a piece where he publicly says and admits that he's a registered Democrat, Samuel, um, mm-hmm. in New York, because he doesn't think that he can actually make a difference as a Republican in such a blue state. And he wrote mm-hmm. a 2018 New York Times opinion editorial you may be familiar with because you're a watchman, and it's called, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't. That's the yeah. name of the article. Yeah, you remember it. And he starts with the inarguable premise 
that you know J Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. Of course, Christians don't fit perfectly into a two-party system. Of course we don't, because yeah. we're not of this world. And both parties are filled with a bunch of sinners. Okay, Tim, obviously, that's, duh, nobody, nobody disagrees with you there. But then mm -hmm. if you recall in the piece, Samuel, he begins to um, gently, or maybe not so gently, lambast the pastors and churches in 1840s, 1850s America um, who didn't, and I quote him, who didn't get political, end quote, to end slavery, to engage against this, because he said, well, back then that was called getting political, you know, like you might lose your gospel in it, just like they tell us today when we get political yeah. to end abortion. But, but Tim Keller doesn't say that those people were right. He says that they were wrong. And then he says that refusing, I'm paraphrasing, but refusing to get political in 1850 as the church was supporting the social status quo, meaning slavery was the social yeah. status quo. So according to, yeah. to Keller, if you don't yeah. get political in 1850 as Christians, and w what does that mean? It means voting for Republicans. That was the only yeah. way to get political yeah. to protect the, the black man and woman. He says, yeah. if you weren't getting political in 1850, you were supporting slavery itself. Which yep. would follow then, Samuel, that voting for Stephen Douglas or racist Democrats in 18, well, that was the 1860 election, in the 1850s would have been a greater sin. It would have been a more support of the social status quo. Yep. But then Keller puts on Facebook in September of 2020 that the Bible tells me abortion is a sin and a great evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to decrease or end abortions or which policies are most effective. This yep. means when it comes to voting taking political positions and determining alliances, the Christian has liberty of conscience. Yeah. And so apparently the, the blood of unborn children, Samuel, doesn't run deep enough or hot enough to yeah. warrant Keller's political intervention, a political intervention that he demanded of churches yeah. in the 1850. So exactly. I want to get your thoughts on what I call soft bigotry. To me, that is called soft bigotry because mm. Keller says abortion, the Bible tells me abortion is a sin and a great evil. Oh, good job, Keller. But then he says, but you can vote for Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I just put this on Facebook. People get pissed at me. But that is what he's saying. When he says you have liberty of conscience when it comes yes. to voting, he's saying you can yeah. vote however you want. Like, freedom, yeah. brothers, for freedom that Christ sets you free. Yeah. Um, so if, we, if voting for Democrats in 1850 was sin, but we have liberty of conscience today, the only conclusion I can come to, brother, is that the black-born man is intrinsically valuable and deserves political protection. But unborn yeah. black people are not intrinsically valuable enough to warrant exactly. political protection in Keller's handbook. What do we do with this type of, can I call it heresy, Samuel? What do we do with this? Yeah, um, I wouldn't call it heresy because it is not, um, it, is a, it is a deeply sinful thing to be saying. It is a, it is a incredibly wrong and honestly evil, but I wouldn't call it heresy because it is not a rejection of of um, biblical theology that can save that saves a person, right? So a, a person who is saved can still sin in that way, the way that Tim Keller is saying, um, you know. But it, frankly, it requires repentance. Um, it is a deeply sinful thing to say, and he and he, I would. I, I, I struggle because uh, the Bible says that we should not uh, rebuke um, people who are older in the faith, um, you know, easily or readily. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't say that we shouldn't rebuke them at all. It just says that we should be we should be careful uh, before we bring a charge against an, uh, an elder. Um, 
but he's in sin here and, and he's he is encouraging many people to sin. You know, what he's saying um, is he seems to be alluding to the the myth that the Democrats uh, decrease abortion. Yeah, the Phil Vischer video. It, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, in so many levels, but even in the states right now, um, the the states with the highest rate of abortions just happen to be the, the democratically controlled states, right? Isn't that interesting? These states, yeah, and, and you look at Texas, and you look at all the heartbeat. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, right? But yeah. they say that oftentimes because they also believe that, well, essentially socialist policies, which I think in that same article, he seems to want to give credence, you know, credence to socialism, saying, well, it's okay for a Christian to be a socialist. Um, but really, socialist policies, um, there, there's this idea that they tend to uh, create so what some would call a more consistent pro-life ethic. That it's more from you know from life from yeah. from uh, from um, from the womb, womb to the tomb. To tomb. Yeah, which is all ridiculous, right? Um, you know, the Bible does God does not say in the Old Testament that well the reason why people are sacrificing their babies to Moloch is because hey um, you know ancient Israel I did not give you all the laws that you need to have. No, it's ridiculous. No, don't murder your babies. Don't kill You're your right. babies. Simple as that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, of course, we want to make sure that we are protecting um, uh, vulnerable women. We want to do the best we can without harm, harming somebody else's rights um, right. to protect babies. But you cannot tell me that so-called free health care will stop killing babies because in Canada, that's not happening. We're, we're, in right, fact, right. because of the so-called free health care, um, I am now forced um, to pay for abortions through my through my taxes. Right. Exactly. So. Anyway, um, going back to Tim Keller, I think it reminds me of something that Thibidi, who you mentioned earlier, said as well, too, that uh, the biggest issue for black people in America isn't abortion, it's racism. Well, that supposes that racism is not playing a role in abortion, um, which is wrong. I mean, black, right. black, black, um, sorry, not black, but um, uh, Planned Parenthood has a chapter called, um, called Planned Parenthood Black Community which is meant to address and to pursue yep. um, uh, women who are, black women were not having enough abortions, according to them. Though it's right. killing 300,000 uh, black babies a year. As you know, yeah. in some states, there are more black babies being aborted than being born. Right. And since Roe v. Wade, there have been 20 million black babies aborted, 20 million. There were 2 million slaves, uh, including some of my relatives, from Africa to America. 2 million right. slaves compared to 20 million babies, black babies being murdered every year through abortion. But you tell me that racism plays a bigger role um, in, in harming black people than slavery, sorry, than, than abortion? That suggests, as you were saying, that we don't, we're not as, uh, as alarmed and as great right. by abortion as we should be, which is, which exactly. is devastating, right? And yeah. part of it is because I think our culture we still see the images of George Floyd, right? We see the images of all the people who've been harmed by accusations of racism. I'm not, I'm not going to say that George Floyd was killed because racism. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. Nevertheless, we don't see the pictures of babies being murdered. We don't see the pictures. Uh, we don't see AVP. We don't see abortion victim photography. So even some Christian leaders are blind to what's happening to babies, or really they don't want to see what's happening to babies, because unfortunately, many of them care much more about socialist and leftist policies than they care about pro-life policies. That's right.
Yep, nailed it, nailed it. And this is why, Samuel, I call it soft bigotry, actually. And I, and I, I if you know, if you know me or follow my content at all, and I'm sure we'll become better friends, I, I don't pull any punches. Uh, and the reason is, is because I think that truth is actually self-evident. I think yeah. reality is self-evident, and I think it, the only way that it becomes not self-evident is through suppression efforts, is through euphemisms, mm -hmm. is through calling mm -hmm. abortion reproductive justice and abortion mm -hmm. women's equality, and the indoctrination of those ideas in, in generations, over, over 50 or 60 years since the sexual revolution. Um, but it's still bigotry. Uh, bigotry yeah. is discrimination against someone else for being different, especially yeah. if those differences are immutable characteristics that mm -hmm. the victim has no control over because they're immutable. And so mm -hmm. pro-choicers are bigots because they discriminate against the pre-born for being smaller, less developed, and more dependent characteristics yeah. they have no control over. So hard bigotry is being pro-choice. Soft bigotry is being Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, Andy Stanley. That's yeah. soft bigotry because you say you're pro-life. And you say, yeah. the Bible tells me abortion is a sin and a great evil, but you either vote for Democrats or if you're Lecrae, you campaign for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock to yeah. make the Senate 50-50 to give mm -hmm. Kamala Harris the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, the most pro-abortion yeah. politician in American history. Yeah. Um, and Lecrae says he's pro-life and he mourns his abortion, but he campaigns for pro-abortion Democrats. Then that's exactly. soft bigotry. Yeah. And this is something I, I have been trying to tell Christians, woke Christians and pastors, Samuel, is that being pro-choice is actually worse than being a racist. Oh, for while sure. Both, while both ideologies involve the dehumanization of actual persons, the pro-choicer specifically targets a baby who can do nothing to stand for her rights. Mm -hmm. Not all racists called for the slaughter of blacks, but yeah. all pro-choicers call for the slaughter of babies. Exactly. And that's really the key thing. Um, this may shock some people, but it shouldn't. I'd much rather be a slave than be murdered. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be a slave, but at least with as, as a slave, I am not being murdered. The worst you can do to a person is to murder them. Right. Uh, now, of course, um, you know, I hate slavery. But if we think about it, if it's wrong to enslave anybody, why is it OK if it's wrong to strip liberty from someone? Why is it okay to strip someone's liberty and their life, which is what abortion does, right? Okay. So we have, as you said, this is all bigotry. And, you know, I think the easy thing is, um, this is, a lot of it is just a, um, seeking the approval of men. Because, you know, That's right. a lot of black people, not all, but of course a lot of black people are demanding, um, you know, for critical, for many pastors to embrace critical race theory. And for a lot of pastors, well, they don't want to lose their black members. They don't want to lose or their white members who are critical race theorists. They don't yeah. want to be hated by the culture. Well, right. that's because the people who are critical race theorists are alive. But a large number of the pro-life people are not alive. That's the babies. So when you are trying to, um, to seek the approval of men, well, you can't seek the approval of of preborn babies, right? And I think that's a, that's a big part of this, right? But if you're wow. seeking to be, if you're seeking to please God, if you're seeking God's approval, you know that you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be showing partiality to um, any kind of person. You just want to to uh, seek God's um, um, God's justice. You want to obey God. You want to please God. You want to you want to love God, which means pursuing justice for all people, including preborn babies. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, sometimes, Samuel, I wonder um, how many 
registered Democrats who attend Keller's church and tithe there would continue to attend and tithe if he preached a sermon about how abortion is the greatest form of systemic um, discrimination and racism in America. And yeah. if you vote for Andrew Cuomo and if you vote for Democrats, um, you are in sin and you need to repent for empowering, endorsing, and uh, growing a party committed to slaughtering uh, innocent human beings. I, I sometimes wonder uh, to what percentage the attendance in congregants of Keller's church would drop by the very mm -hmm. next Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. And so let's be honest what this is really about. Um, it is the approval of man, as you say. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you refining me, Samuel. Um, perhaps it's not heresy, but perhaps we can quote Bonhoeffer. Perhaps we should tell these churches and pastors what Bonhoeffer told churches that allowed the Holocaust, Samuel, that only those who cry out for the Jews can sing the Gregorian chant. Mm. Um, uh, how would we translate that today? Um, only those who cry out for the pre-born and their protection may worship Jesus in church on Sunday. I mean, mm. as a pretty damning critique of what Bonhoeffer's saying. Mm -hmm. um, he's saying, I don't want to hear you chanting your hymns. I don't want to hear you doing your liturgy or worship um, if you don't cry out for the Jews. Mm -hmm. um, another way to put that is that you don't deserve to stand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, anybody... If so, if someone would would be willing to vote for my oppressor before while I'm still in the womb, why would I trust them to seek my interest after the womb? Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, if, if when I'm most yeah. vulnerable, you're not willing to protect me. Why would I mm -hmm. trust you that what you claim is for my protection is really for my protection? That's right. Well, the way I always say that, Samuel, is if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. Exactly. Um, and for you guys tuning in today, check out Samuel's piece from last year. I just shared it on Facebook before we jumped on here, Samuel. Um, you called it pro-life evangelicals for abortion, question mark. Um, and in your piece, you say politicians who kill children shouldn't be trusted to help children. Um, and yeah. that's exactly what so many of these woke evangelicals told us, right, Samuel? They said, vote for Democrats because they have a more consistent life ethic. Um, this is the, the whole life. I'm not pro-life, I'm whole life, like you said, womb yeah. to tomb. But what they really mean is that unborn human beings become sacrificial lambs on your social yeah. welfare pr programs. Yes. That, yes. that you want the policies of Democrats who lynch children in the womb um, that will care for those children if they survive the Holocaust that Democrats wield against them. Uh, yeah. Very strange uh, perspective when, when you lift the euphemistic bigotry off of what yes. is actually being said. Um, but, you know, these pastors who rent their garments over Orange Man Bad, uh, Samuel, and, and, and all publish long pieces on bringing civility back to the White House and went out of their way to criticize Trump for talking about bleephole countries. Uh, suddenly, they're nowhere to be found, Samuel. I don't yeah. know what happened, um, but Planned Parenthood and the Democrats right now are literally complaining and angry that more black people will now exist in Texas, Samuel. Yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a Planned Parenthood tweet from the other day. The Supreme Court failed to block a law that flies in the face of Roe v. Wade, and the results for black, Latino, and indigenous people and those with low incomes and folks in rural areas will be devastating. The results for minority communities will be devastating. What results? A human being, yeah. a baby, a child, yeah. a family. Yeah. And they yeah. say that we need more minority population. We need more minority representation in America. Here's a great mm -hmm. way to get more, more minority representation, Samuel. Let them be born. 
don't yeah. lynch them in the womb and you'll get more black yeah. people. So they're literally complaining that we're going to have more black people in Texas. Um, and uh, and yet the, the woke evangelicals who were so quick to criticize Trump for every little misstep in his verbiage are suddenly nowhere to, to be found. So yeah. um, maybe it's time we put that line in the sand and say, actually, we're the confessing church. Yes. Um, but yes. what has been your success in um, working with churches in Canada? Laura Clausen and I talked a little bit about this. Um, but boy, if it's hard for me to get into churches um, in, in America, um, really only until the last year when I'm seeing a lot of pastors start to wake up yeah. and find their voice. And so I've been in a yeah. pulpit like every other week. But for most of my speaking career, that wasn't the case. What's it like um, working with the church um, on abortion whose laws are just as radical, if not more radical in Canada? Oh, our laws here are much more radical. So last week, the Democrats, um, the House Democrats, um, pushed that bill um, that would uh, legalize abortion across all the, yeah. yeah, that would make it, you know, uh, abortion Codified. legal. Yeah. Well, in Canada, we've had that for the last 40 years. Uh, that is our law here. Um, you know, it's theoretically, it is legal to kill a baby an hour before they're born in Canada. Um, so it's, so we, our laws are much worse. And because of that, churches here know how unpopular speaking against abortion really is. So oftentimes they will pray about the preborn babies. Uh, many of them have crisis pregnancy care centers, which is all great, which is very good. But speaking out, Candidly, about abortion is very rare. Um, I try to reach out to so many churches um, to come speak sure there, to will. have anybody else come speak, and it was almost, well, it's too controversial, we don't want that, or we've had people in the church who've had abortions, so we don't really want to offend them. Well, right. well, then that means you've had babies killed by people in the church, so why not come, why not let people come speak so you can save more preborn babies? That's right, um, that's right. You know, so as you know, both in the U.S. and Canada, Many, many people walk straight out of churches and right into Planned Parenthood or abortion centers. And right. if we don't have people standing in the middle of that, we don't have people in the church standing for these preborn babies, more will be killed. And I've said that many times. And of course, uh, you know, there are some who are speaking out. There are some who are being faithful to the gospel and to justice. Uh, but unfortunately, there are many, many more who are not. So That's like right. I, I know I know Laura, Laura Classen, and she's, she's fantastic. I love what she's doing. She's been essential for, yeah. for the pro-life movement here. Um, right. I've partnered with her in some in some uh, occasions. But unfortunately, yeah, our work here is very difficult. When I see the Republicans, who are not perfect, but when I see them introducing pro-life bills, I, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm glad, but I'm always uh, envious that even here yeah. in the conservative party here, wow. we don't have a pro-life party. We don't have, we have three major parties, all of them are, are positionally wow. right now pro-abortion. Pro yeah. That's what we're dealing yeah. with here. So, um, you know, so Americans, <laughs> be grateful for what you have. Yeah. Uh, of course, pray for more, but be grateful for, the, for what you have. And then uh, pray for us that we need more pro-life people and, pro -life, uh, and more pro-life politicians in this nation yeah. to save uh, babies. Well, you know, I'm sure what you just mentioned about an article that you wrote recently about, you know, how can we expect our liberty pr to be protected if life is denied to the pre-born, I always say, you know, why were churches surprised 
Samuel, that their natural right to liberty, to gather, to worship, to pray, mm -hmm. was being taken away from them during the scamdemic shutdowns. Because how can you expect a government who denies the natural right to life to an entire class of human beings to protect any of, of your other rights that flow yeah. from that first and most important of all rights, life? Yeah. Um, or to quote Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who put this brilliantly recently, he said, if we are content to let others do the work of replenishing and defending liberty while we consume the benefits, we will someday run out of other people's willingness to sacrifice or even out of courageous people willing to make the sacrifice. Mm. And so you're behind enemy lines like we are here. You're, you're, uh, your enemy is just uh, a bit larger of a dragon and a behemoth. But these churches in Canada, um, I don't know how they expect to have the liberty to preach the full gospel, which I know in many circumstances they already can't, or they're going yeah. to have a, a lawsuit, a discrimination lawsuit brought against them. How do they mm. expect to contend and preserve the right to preach the gospel? Um, when they're not willing to stand and defend the first and most important of all rights. The exactly. right, by the way, that your Savior had when Joseph and yep. Mary didn't murder him in the womb. Um, and so I, we so appreciate your voice. Samuel, I want to finish with this um, uh, as we wrap up because I like discussing how ideas intersect and how ideas have consequences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, C.S. Lewis once said that the most dangerous ideas in a society are not the ones being argued for, they're the ones being assumed. Mm. Uh, because assumed premises, especially when undetected, can destroy a nation. Um, and we mm. saw that with slavery. We're seeing that with abortion today as well. So do you see any similarities between the church's embrace of critical race theory and their embrace of abortion? Do you see any similarities with their willingness to make peace with both? And, where, and if so, where does that come from? Absolutely. That's a great question. Critical race theory uh, pits the rights of people against the rights of, uh, well, let me say it differently. It, it, critical race theory suggests that the rights of certain people should be stripped to give some people uh, more privileges. Abortion says strip, uh, not be more specific here. Abortion says let's strip a preborn baby's right to life to give their mothers more privileges. Mm -hmm. Critical race theory says, let's strip white people's rights to give black people more privileges. Wow. It all comes down to partiality or bigotry, as you said, that Power. if we don't want this, let's harm these people so that that cannot happen. And by that, what I mean is, well, if you don't kill babies, Preborn babies will, um, sorry, if you don't kill preborn babies, their mothers will not prosper. It's essentially the claim. Well, in the same way, if you don't strip liberty or harm white people, then uh, black people will not prosper. Ibram um, Kendi said in his book that, you know, racism is, this is word for word, or this is exactly what he said in his book. I think it's on page five or six. He says, racism. What he, what he says is, you know, more particularly, racial discrimination is good if it leads to racial equity. It's only bad if it leads to racial inequity. Right. Wow. This is all the same thing. So when yep. it comes to the church, the reason why people are embracing this is because oftentimes they're focusing on, they're focusing on being partial to the small. I'm referring to Leviticus 19 verse 15, where the Bible says, do not show partiality to the rich 
or the poor, the great or the small, right? And unfortunately, because we've been shown partiality to women who want to kill their babies or to men who want to kill their babies, we're now naturally shown partiality to many people who want to harm white people supposedly to help black people. But of course, wow. the, you know, all, the, all these things, any injustice does not help the person that you claim it will help. It will always right. harm everybody. Right? Right. Abortion is harming uh, babies and it's harming women in all of society. Critical race theory is harming white people and it's also harming black people. Wow. It's all the soft bigotry of low expectations and it's harming us all. Or the hard bigotry of no expectations. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, reminds me of what Lincoln said, uh, Samuel. He said, I should like to know if taking this old Declaration of Independence, which says that all men are equal upon principle, and making exceptions to it, where will it stop? If one man says it does not mean the Negro, why not another man say it does not mean some other man? Yeah. Um, and that was, his, that was Lincoln's approach to debating people like Stephen Douglas and racists. He says, you're making exceptions to who is included in the American experiment, in the protections of natural rights, the first natural right being life. So if we can deny the natural rights to some, why not deny natural rights to all? Or why not yeah. deny natural rights to those who are, po who are politically opportune victims to accomplish our political goals? Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to paraphrase Lincoln, Southern states or pro-abortion states today are putting into place the premises that justify their own enslavement. Mm -hmm. They say the child can be killed because they're smaller, less developed, and more dependent. But born people are smaller, less developed, and more dependent. And if you ground someone's rights in their functions and capacities that come in varying degrees, then it follows that rights come in varying degrees. Okay. So I guess the albino is actually the king, and the person with the highest IQ is the king, and anyone yeah. with less melanin or a shorter, IQ, smaller IQ than that is less of a person as you go down the line. Of course, this is ridiculous. Democrats would never allow their ideas to be wielded against them. Um, yeah. But they'll take their stupid ideas to wield it against those so that they can experience their version of liberty, uh, yeah. which we understand is just libertinism. That's just license uh, yeah. to do what you want. Or to go back to the serpent in Genesis 3, ye shall be as gods. Yeah. Do it your exactly. way, do it my way, and you can be your own god. Um, exactly. And so we're not fighting an alternative politics, right? We're fighting an alternative religion. Um, Samuel, where can people uh, connect with you? Your, your voice, your writing, uh, so thoughtful, and I think that's why you call it slow to write, um, but, but, but very powerful too. Where can people learn more? Do you have a podcast, your blog, a Facebook page, social media, a book, anything? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, so I, um, yeah, the blog is slowtowrite.com. Um, thank you for your kind words about the blog. My social media is also just slow to write. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I am working on a curriculum on critical race theory. Um, hopefully it will be out in December or January. Um, uh, it, it's meant primarily for teenagers, but really the average person. I am not an yeah. academic, um, and I think a lot of academics intentionally complexify critical race theory to make it hard for people to understand. And I want to okay. make it simplified so that people can understand what it is. Um, I am... Um, yeah, I'm also working on a podcast um, with my fiance soon. Uh, hopefully, it'll be out and ready next year, um, and it'll probably be called "Slow to Speak." It just seems natural to make <laughs> to make it to, yeah. uh, to call that. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. Also, if people want to, they feel inclined to through prayer, they can they can consider supporting me on Patreon or uh, PayPal. Also at Slow to Write. Um, so yeah, that's how people can find me.
Awesome, Samuel. Yeah, if you guys want to support Samuel out on Patreon, slow to write, uh, I believe you can get early access to articles. You can also pitch certain topics that you want him to cover. And if you really want to be generous, I think that they can do a video call, hang out with you and discuss yeah. the culture and the church and everything that's happening. Mm. Well, Samuel, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to having you in, in the once land of the free um, <laughs> here in America, hopefully soon, and uh, be able to save the republic with us and wake up the church. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your voice. We're praying for you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for joining the show today. Um, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Subscribe. It really helps us reach more people. As long as I can fly under the technocrats at Google, we're going to continue trying to change minds, change hearts, and save lives and discuss ideas and issues that nobody thinks deeply about anymore. And uh, we know that most people have not thought deeply about the issue of abortion. We want to dive into those ideas and equip you to stand and be a pro-life ninja, a voice for the unborn, an ambassador for the unborn. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com to sign up for my newsletter to see my speech speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local or to book me for an event as 2021 is nearly full and I'm booking for next year. We appreciate your voice. Thank you for joining us here as we fight back against the uh, abortion behemoth and the culture of death. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. <laughs>